Good evening, this is Quintus Curtius, and welcome back to the podcast. This podcast was brought to you tonight, courtesy of Fortress of the Mind Publications. And the subject of tonight's podcast is going to be the imagination. What it is, and how can it best be understood and developed. And I got the idea to do this podcast from some of my readings of some of the medieval mystical philosophers which have been very interesting to me, much more interesting than I ever expected. And it's, uh, it's, a, it's a very fascinating type of topic because in those days before the industrial period, people were more dependent upon mental power, I think, than they are now. They had to really cultivate their imaginations and they were able to learn a lot more about the imagination than you might think. So what I wanted to do was share some of those observations I've made from reading some of these things so that you might be able to find ways of employing it in your own day-to-day experience. So I think I'm going to go over about seven points. I think there are like seven points altogether I want to make about the imagination. But the first one, and maybe the most important one, is the idea of ambiguity. Let me talk about that for a minute. We're commonly accustomed in life, in our normal day-to-day life, to think in terms of either or. In other words, something is either one thing or it's the other. Well, what the mystics tell us is that we have to first disabuse ourselves of that idea. We have to get away from thinking in terms of either or. Instead, what we have to think more of is in, we have to begin to think more in terms of both slash and and also neither slash nor. Now, what do I mean by that? Instead of thinking things have to be either one or the other, we have to accept the fact that things can be both, you know, can be simultaneously two different things at once and two different things at once, or they can be neither one thing or neither the other. And the point of, of talking about ambiguity in this way is to condition us to recognize that sometimes the best way to describe things is that they're neither this nor that or that they're both this and that. We'll see a little bit more about what I mean by this as we continue our discussion of the imagination. But for now, just understand that ambiguity is a critical dimension of understanding how the imagination works. And this is not something that's a problem with us, with our minds or our perceptions. Ambiguity is an essential fact of the universe. It's an essential ontological fact of existence that we cannot escape. Cannot escape. And you know, it's interesting that modern science seems to support this idea that the the medieval mystics had about ambiguity. You know, we read about uh, the operation of physical laws at the atomic level with, you know, the Heisenberg uncertainty principles and the operation of quantum mechanics and wave functions. And we can see that this idea of ambiguity is truly bound up with the fabric of the universe. And this is something that the the ancients and the medieval thinkers knew on some intuitive level, although not on an experimental level. All right. Now, the other point I want to make about the imagination is that we need to understand it as a bridge between two separate worlds. And the two separate worlds are the world of forms, 
of corporeal forms of the physical, the physical world and the spirit world, the world of the spirit. And we can say that the imagination is that isthmus, that bridge that links the, these two worlds together and shares in both aspects of these two worlds. To draw a visual representation of this or a visual recollection of this, imagine a map of the Western Hemisphere. Imagine you have, you've got North America on top and you've got South America on the bottom. And connecting, connecting the two is that narrow Isthmus of Panama. And we can think of that bridge, that land bridge, as the, the, the bridge, the imagination that connects those two worlds, separate but yet united through that bridge of the imagination. And this word, there was a, the, the, the Arabic mystics had a special word for this bridge. It was called the barzakh, barzakh, uh, if you're interested. And uh, it's, uh, it's a compelling way to think of the imagination because we tend to think in the West of, imagine, of imagination as this just random collection of creative thoughts and something you can just turn on and turn off. But the... The mystics did not think of imagination in this way. They thought of it as an actual reality, an actual separate reality that could be used to influence both the microcosm, us, and the macrocosm, the external world. And that is a tantalizing thought, to me anyway. And it's a very interesting thought. And it's really generated the uh, creative uh, juices in me flowing once once I started to read more about this, and I, I hope you're as enthusiastic as I am about it. All right. The other point that I want to make about the imagination is that it designates a reality that can be manifested in two different places simultaneously. That's in the macrocosm, in other words, the world itself, and also the microcosm in us. So when we dream, and dreams are nothing but a subset of the imagination, and we'll talk a little bit about that. When we dream, the perceptions and insights that we draw from our dreams can in fact influence the material world. This is not just verbiage. This is an actual fact. This is an actual fact. In fact, the next point, and the mystics go even further to say that all existence is identical to imagination. All of existence is identical to, ima to the imagination. In other words, at certain stages of consciousness, there's no difference between the world of the imagination and the actual physical world that we live in. Now, I don't yet have the training to fully appreciate or understand what they mean by this, but it is said and it is something that I'm trying to get a grasp on. And I think it's going to take further study for me to, to really understand that. But I find that to be a very fascinating idea because it seems to leave open the idea that the power of our minds can be used to transform physical reality. And that is something I do believe. We, all of us, are living in a world of our own creation. And if that's true then we can use our imaginations to exert control more than we ever imagined over our physical environments. So the next point about imagination is that 
it shares in this ambiguity that we talked about earlier. It is neither this nor that. It is an intermediate reality. It is that intermediate reality that bridges the corporeal world and the spirit world. And the next point are, is that dreams are the key to unlocking the mystery of some of this ambiguity. Dreams, our experiences in our dreams, are ways to share in the joining of these two worlds, the, the spirit world and the world of forms, of material forms. You know, there's a, a great story that I think it was written by Arthur Conan Doyle, the same author who wrote the Sherlock Holmes series, but he he also wrote a lot of great stories of uh, suspense and 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 horror, frankly, uh, tales of horror and suspense and unease. And he wrote a great story, which I read many years ago, which is I've always remembered. Very, very great story. You should read it if you have a chance, if you can find it. And the story is called The Leathern Funnel. It's called The Leathern Funnel. It's, an, it's a story about a collector who bought a antique leather funnel. And he wanted to learn more about it. He knew that it was hundreds of years old. It was a very... Uh, a very uh, strange uh, curiosity that he bought somewhere. And what he did was he put it by his bedside, on his bed table, on his bed table before going to sleep to see if he could somehow experience in his dreams the reality of what that leathern funnel had been used for, or what, it, what its history was. And the story is great because, it, because the sleeper is transported back in time to a medieval French dungeon where this funnel is being used to administer the water torture to some hapless victim. And it's a great story, but the point and its relevancy to this discussion tonight is that we can take concrete steps to try to have our bodies have dreams and one of those ways is to, you know, lay physical objects about us. I'll talk a little bit about that more of, of how, what are some good ways to, to promote dreaming or some ways that I've found to be useful. But it's a great story. And it's a compelling, uh, uh, I think a compelling uh, argument for the power of dreams to enable us to experience types of realities that we can't experience anywhere else. Because in dreams... We're not bound by the laws of physical reality. We can, we can sail across space, time, and use our imaginations in ways that we can't in the normal corporeal world. Now, the last thing I want to talk about before we sign off is given the importance of dreaming and how important dreams are, what are ways that we can go about promoting ourselves to have more dreams? I'm going to assume that everyone wants to have more dreams. Maybe there are people who don't want to have dreams. I don't know, but I think it's in your best interest to have them because there are great ways of sharing in this this dual, this this uh, uh, connecting this isthmus between these two worlds that we've talked about. But how do you do it? How do you go about having dreams? Well, I'm still experimenting with this and I haven't found the definitive answers yet, but I can tell you what's worked for me so far. And maybe you can try some of your own techniques and see if those work for you. But what's worked for me to have more dreams 
are a couple different things. Number one, listening to soothing, relaxing music before I go to sleep. And that somehow seems to trigger a state of heightened relaxation and opening up of the mind to have more dreams. The second thing that seems to work in having dreams is to overload yourself during the day with sense perceptions, with, with different sensory stimuli on the brain that somehow triggers you know, some sort of, it fires the synapses maybe of your brain in ways that you can't really explain. But you've got to have input going into your mind. You can't, you're not going to have dreams coming out unless you have things going in, unless you have good stimuli going in. And the third technique that I've found that does work is laying some physical object by your bed table. And I talked about the example of the leather, leather and funnel, and I got that idea from reading that story, and it seemed to work. Uh, not all the time, but if you can put a strange object near you that you want to learn more about, somehow that triggers the mind on some subconscious level and enables you to share in the experience of dreaming. So that concludes our podcast for tonight. Um, I hope I've put out some ideas about the imagination and dreaming that you may not have thought about before. And maybe that will serve as a stimulus to future investigation on these matters. This podcast was brought to you by, by Fortress of the Mind Publications. If you enjoyed this podcast, I would ask, ask that you go to iTunes and rate the podcast on iTunes so that others can find it. I'm Quintus Curtius. Until next time, good night.